John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so you shall be my disciples. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name that's above every name, in the name that whereby men might be saved, we come boldly to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in the time of need. And Father, we are thankful that You are an ever-present help, that You are never too far away, that we can't call upon that mighty name of Jesus. And at the mention of Your name, every demon has to flee. And we're thankful for that. All we've got to do is speak the name of Jesus and heaven comes down. And immediately we are in Your presence. And so Father, I thank You God, that we are able to come into your house in this nation that is under God. And so, Father, we are thankful, Lord, that you have positioned us to be in our country. We are thankful for the men and women that have died for our freedoms. And, Father, not, don't ever let us take it for granted. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come in here and we can proclaim the name of Jesus and that we are so, we are so humbled. I am so humbled and so thankful that we are not like the church in China where we're having to meet hidden. But Father, it might be a good thing for some of us to have to get to a place where we depend on You like that. And so Father, I just thank You, Lord, that You would just anoint my lips and I would speak exactly what is coming from heaven. And God, that I would just be Your voice this morning and don't let me say anything of myself, but just let it be all of You in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so Father, we are thankful. Yes, we are. He is good. Yes, He is. And we see here that Jesus, as He was talking to His disciples, as He was just leaving the upper room, and that how that he had, he had just washed their feet. Judas had already left, but He was coming down. And, and as, he was headed to Gess, as He was headed to the Garden of Gethsemane, and as they were walking, and probably walking through the vine rolls, and as, as He was talking to His disciples, and as He began to talk to them and the vine and he told them he said I am the vine <laughs> and you know you think about you think about this was his some of his last words with his disciples this was some of the last conversation that he was having with them what do you think most people remember the death of someone. It's usually those last conversations that you remember, don't you? You remember those last moments that you had with that person and those words that stick out. I know I do. I'll never forget on that Wednesday night before my dad passed away how that he was like, 
Your attitude into a problem determines the outcome of the problem. And how you go into it will determine how you come out of it. And how long you stay in it. And so, those things are just things that you remember. Those conversations just sitting there. And I remember him saying, I was like, I said, is it bad that I told the truth? You know, that I told how I felt. He said, honey, it's never wrong to tell the truth. And so, I think about those things. And think about Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. And how that, that this would be their last conversation. And he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. My father is the vine dresser. As I was studying, I began to think of Isaiah 11.1, 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Prophesied about Jesus that he would come forth in Isaiah and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of the eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of the ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove the, the, acquit, the acquittity of the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And so, what is traditionally cut off to about waist high, ending in a large gnarl from which branches grow in either direction. The vine dresser, the husbandman, is the keeper of the vineyard. And, and his job is to simply draw from the plants the most fruit that he can get. Because if you have a good crop, you have a good profit, right? We all understand sowing because... You know, gardening, that's um, how that we plant. How many of y'all grew up with a garden? Remember when I left you in the garden? <laughs> you was crying over at my... <laughs> I left my cousin Christy <laughs> up there in the garden one time at the house. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that just ran through my head. But um, I was just thinking about us having to garden that whole hill up through there. And... Um, I was like, isn't it better just to buy it? <laughs> um, and so we understand about gardening. Um, a lot of us, that's what we grew up with. But the branches. Um, in the vineyard, the branches are the focus of the vine dresser's efforts. Because they produce the fruit. Branches are tied to the trellis. Or propped up with sticks to let air circulate around, provide the maximum amount of sunshine and allow full access for tending. Did you know there's not, with all our technology and with all the things that we have in America, there is not a machine that can pick grapes and that can prune? Think about that. And I love that it's all hands-on. <laughs> the vine dresser is God. <laughs> It's all hands-on. It's all him <laughs> touching. Um, and so you and I are the branches. And the vine dresser, he lovingly cultivates each branch so that we will bear much fruit. In verse 2, 
It says, Every branch in me that bringeth forth not fruit, he taketh away. Now you look at that and you're like, Huh. If I don't bear much fruit, he's going to take me away. But I want you to... It's, there's a Greek word that is used that taketh away. It's called A-I-R-O. And you, um, you can look it up. It's A-H-E-E-R-O. So it's A-H-E-R-O. So some would say that if you bear fruit, you cannot be a Christian. The Greek word, ario, that some interpret taketh away. And whenever you look at it, it's actually lift up. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> that He lifts you up. Because back then they would grow sometimes on the ground and they would get dirty. And so... He would lift them up on the trellis so that they could get more sunlight. They would wash them. They would get the dirt because they would, people would track and they would walk. And as they would walk, it would get dirty. And so He would lift them up. Aren't you glad that's what He does to us? That He lifts us up? That <laughs> I mean, because I know we all go through seasons in our life when we're not bearing much fruit. But aren't you thankful that He is faithful and just to forgive us and that He's faithful to a thousand generations? I'm thankful that He just don't cast me aside when I mess up and when I don't maybe ain't do it exactly right. But He lifts me up and washes me. And in that same, the verse, every branch in me, other scriptures describe the believer as in Christ, like 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of Him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. And so, a person that, that walks, that grows grapes, will walk countless hours tending to their grapes. Think about that. This... Just vineyards and rolls, countless hours tending to the vine, tending to those branches. And First um, Corinthians six nine says, "Know you not that you that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I, yeah. <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. <laughs> so being washed... They attach a trellis where they will soon grow and thrive. And so God, just like a new Christian, He lifts them up. He washes them off. And He cleans them. And so a lot of times, sin is like dirt. It's got to be washed off. And so, instead He will lift you up and wash you off and reattach you to the trellis where you can thrive and bear fruit. Psalms 40, 1 and 2 I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry, and brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. I love that verse. 
And so fruit, third fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, and the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And so, it's the vine dresser that does the pruning. And it's him that sanctifies us. It's him that cuts away those things. You know, and I was thinking, as I was thinking about that, how that, you know, we are just the branches. But how that, as we're in our lives, we go through things, right? We go through trials and tribulations. It's those things you're like, think it not strange concerning these fiery trials. <laughs> um, and so we think about how that, that we're just the branches and that we're in the middle of something and then God takes something away, cuts it away. And it hurts, don't it? It hurts when things are taken away or cut away out of our lives. But because we are so finite and He is so infinite, He sees the big picture. He can see the beginning to the end. And we are stuck here, but we don't really see the outcome that, is, that He is molding in our life. We don't see that this big cluster of grapes is what He's wanting us to produce. And so, it hurts when He cuts us, when He moves things, when He takes things. But we have to remember that we just see through the glass darkly, dimly. We just know in part. And so, we do not see how He sees. He is the master husbandman. He is the master vine dresser that is trying to produce much fruit out of our lives. And so He knows if this person is blocking the light from you getting the sun being able to get to you. So He maybe has to cut that person out of your life. Maybe He has to take these things out of your life so that the air, so that the sun, so that you can be nourished, so that, that He can use you to produce much fruit. The other thing about, about vines is that the reason that they're mostly on hillsides is because what happens is, is if you give um, a vine, if you give it the best ground possible to grow in, it doesn't produce good fruit. But if it has rocky ground and a little bit of dirt and a little bit of about half and half, it produces much better. And I, I was like, man, that's so much like our lives. If we have it easy, how do we live? We just live comfortable. But it's through those trials, it's through those things that we go through, we press in. Whenever we're, we got hardships, whenever we got things, who we lean, whose bosom are we leaning on? We're leaning on the Lord. And we're trusting in Him. Because that's how 
he knows that we'll get good fruit out of us. And so, Isaiah 41. You know, and I was just thinking about how that, as he prunes us, how that we are in his hand. Like he is careful not to damage us. Remember, not to make us bitter. Not to hurt us, but just the right way. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And I, I love that thought of being held in his hand as he prunes. And so, fourth, what is fruit? It's fruit of the Spirit. And, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Fruit represents good works. And fruit represents what's going on on the inside. What God is doing inwardly. So, if God is working on us inwardly, then we're going to produce joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, and meekness, Right? I don't think it said anything about you would be hateful. That you would be bitter. That you would be joyless. For in Him is all the fullness, fullness of joy, right? So when we're producing bad fruit, what's that a sign of? That we're not abiding in the vine. Because He said, if we'll abide in Him, He will abide in us. And the thing about it is, I think we make it so hard sometimes because we, we, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. No, you've got to stay connected to the vine. That's all you've got to do. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. You don't have to hopscotch, jump on one foot, do all that. Uh, just abide in Him. Rest in Him. Then, when we rest in Him, He produces the fruit. It ain't our fruit. And so it doesn't, it's not like we're trying to work up something like, I've got to be really nice. No, it will just automatically come because you're abiding in the vine. So you automatically produce that type of fruit. And it will just automatically, it will automatically bear witness of itself. And so... The outer fruit. You bear outward fruit when you allow God to work through you. And so, outward fruit appears when your motive is always to bring glory to God. Always to bring glory to Him. So, thinking about the, the vineyard, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, it talks about a vineyard. And it's talking about how that Israel was a vineyard. And, and Isaiah had prophesied this, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it. Now remember in Matthew chapter 23 or 21, when Jesus was talking there, and he was talking about, about the vineyard. And he was talking about how that they... Um, how that they go in and they dig up the stones and they build a wall around it. Y'all remember that? 
Matthew 21. The parable of the tenants. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out. And the husband went into a far country. So, when Jesus was talking to those Pharisees here, as they were in the crowd, they knew exactly what he was talking about back in Isaiah chapter 5. It says, and he fenced it, and I'm back in Isaiah chapter 5, and he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth groups and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard, what could have been done more to the vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes, and now go to, I will tell, tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, and it shall be pruned, nor dig. It won't be pruned, it won't be digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for the righteousness, but behold, a cry. And then whenever you read about the tenants in Matthew chapter 21, you see... That Jesus, how that Jesus is referenced and how that in Isaiah, how that it was, he was talking about the house of Israel, how that because they don't produce fruit, he will leave them to lay it waste. He doesn't forsake them, they're still his people, but he will use another nation. And, and you can go back and read that for yourself in Matthew chapter 21. But we see that Jesus was the son of the heir that they sent and they killed him. But that's not my where I'm going. But thinking about that fruit, thinking about that fruit and how that that God is producing fruit in us and he's producing fruit through us, right? Well, how important is that fruit to you? Is that important? If you notice in, in Matthew 21 and then in Isaiah chapter 5, it talks about there was a tower. There was a watchtower that was in the middle of this vineyard. It had a hedge around it, right? It had a wall around it. It was built on a hill, but there was a watchtower in the middle. Why? Well, that was because they didn't want critters or thieves stealing the crop. Stealing the grapes, right? If you were a vine dresser, if you were, if you had crops that you've worked, that you've worked hard in tilling the land, would you not want to watch your crop? And would you not be vigilant about protecting it? Yeah. And so the watchtower which brings me to where are the watchmen where are the watchmen that are on the tower that are in the tower that is alerting of the danger right because you're you've got your crop and you're in the tower but where are the watchmen 
I think Ezekiel chapter 317 says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Give them warning from me. Everybody's called to be a watchman. If you're a child of God, you're called to be a watchman. Because we're all bearing fruit. We're supposed to. We're abiding in Him. If you are a Christian, you're to be abiding in Him and He's abiding in you and you're producing fruit. Alright, so you also have to be a watchman. You have to be a watchman so that the enemy doesn't sneak in and begin to steal your joy. To begin to steal things in your life. That, because what is he? He's, a, he's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? And he's trying to get in at every crevice. Every place he can, he'll try to, try to get in. And so, in Ezekiel 33, in the cr crucial position that God puts great emphasis on, he was a man who needed to be disciplined, responsible, steady, honest, and wise. So a watchman had to be very sensitive. They had to be abiding in the vine. They had to be keen to listen to the Holy Spirit as He spoke. Like, oh, watch that. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you're, uh, oh, something ain't right. Something, yeah. That's the Holy Spirit saying, be careful. Watch out. And so... From the book of Ezekiel, we see that the watchman had to warn the people of danger when it came their way. There was not just the cry of danger that thundered from him. There was also instructions that came from them where the refuge was. So if they seen somebody coming on the east wall, the west wall, wherever they were coming, they would holler out. And they would tell them where to go. Save yourselves from this is untoward generation. And so every true watchman always has an element of fear and faith in his cry. Making that warning. Listen to this in Revelations 2. And the angel, and unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write these things, saith the Son of God, who hath eyes like into flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy work, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast suffered that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornications, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. You think about that. Well, what, what have we allowed... In so many of our churches, in so many in our nation, we allow the spirit of Jezebel to control everything, which is manipulation, domination, use sexual things. All you got to do is is look at documentaries that are coming out. It's coming out when the pedophilia, all these different things are coming out in the public spotlight. And what are we doing? We're just turning our backs. And you don't hear, you know, we're not hearing people condemning sin. Are we? I don't. I don't hear it. Because it don't feel good. See, that's the thing. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to go to church and listen to somebody 
condemn the leaders and all these things. Well, some might, when, when God's word is going one way and our nation is going another way, you got, you got to go with God's word. And it does not matter. If you make everybody mad, everybody around you mad, it's not about what political party, it's about being a child of God and standing for His truth and His righteousness. And so, 2 Timothy 1 and 14 says, That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep thou by the Holy Ghost that dwelleth in us. Keeping it. Setting a watch. Watching over it. Keeping it. The other functions of a watchman was protector, keeper, doorkeeper, gatekeeper, preserver. The watchman also had a preserver. They maintained things. Maintained things around the house of God. I thought about Teresa, like how that she maintains, she cleans. Thank you. Thank you for what you do for the church. But the watchmen, they were guards. And they stood. The Greek word study is pholasso, which Paul used there, is to guard and keep watch. Talking about to keeping what the Holy Ghost. To have an eye upon lest he escape. To guard a person or thing that he may remain safe. To keep from violence. To protect. To keep from being snatched away, to preserve safely, to guard from being lost or perishing, to guard oneself from a thing. Scattered throughout the New Testament, the word is used 25 times to keep. So beware, Second Peter 3.17 says, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Keep, Acts 12 and 4 says, And when he had apprehended him, he put him into prison and delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. That's what he's talking about in that, to keep, to guard what the Holy Ghost, what you have in you. You got to watch it. You got to stand guard. Watchman. So guarding our hearts, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. Young people, guard your hearts. But you know what I really, this is, this is where I wanted, really wanted to end up at, is, you know, we think about watchmen and how that, how that they make a cry, how that they are watching, how that they are... Um, you know, they're, they're seeing the enemy. They're seeing how he's approaching. They're seeing, they're keeping their eyes open. But could there be a greater angle in being a watchman? Yeah. Prayer. <laughs> Intercessors. <laughs> in prayer. That's how. Praying. How many times has have just all of a sudden it come over you to pray for one of your loved ones, your kids, somebody just in the middle of the night, you get woke up and it's like, pray. And then later you find out at that moment 
Something's going on. And immediately, then you're like, that's why he woke me up. Because he was wanting me to pray. He was wanting me to watch. He was wanting me to be on that tower interceding for my family and praying. And so, don't take it lightly when God speaks to you. Don't take it lightly when He's asking you to cry out on behalf of your family. When He's asking you to pray. When He's asking you to seek Him. God gives us authority in prayer, but there's many necessities of life that we have to allow, that we have allowed to hinder us. Laziness hinders prayers. Just being too lazy to pray. Unspiritual attitudes hinder prayer. Carnal lifestyles hinder prayer. Spiritual warfare hinders prayers. But we've got to pray to be effective in the kingdom. Right? We push through. I think, you know, we think about prayer, it's going to sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice your time. You're going to not be on Facebook as much. You're not going to be doing all the little things that you like to do. Because you're spending more time in prayer. And the man who will watch in prayer, and this is so true, you'll alternate between wrestling, weeping, and wrestling. So you'll alternate between watching, wrestling, and weeping. Because you're watching, and then you wrestle in prayer. Right? You, t- you know, our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. And so we wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities. It's rulers of the air of darkness. We wrestle against the enemy. Right? As he tries to fire those darts in your mind, as he's trying to hit you, we wrestle with those things. So, prayer will cost you sleep. Cost you tears. It'll demand that you change. Prayer doesn't always change God's mind, but it always change you. It will always change you. The more you pray, the more you change. And guarding in prayer will set you apart from the world, from your friends, from, your, from all the different things of comfort. I think prayer makes you enjoy life so much better. Y'all like nature, friendships, relationships. You're because you're being, you're connected. You're in that, and it just there's a joy. The more that you're in prayer, you're more in peace with God and with man. Um, so. Crying out in prayer. The word prayer is found 114 times in the Bible. The word pray is found 313 times. So why ain't we praying? Right? We see all these things that are going on in the streets of America. But where's the church? 
A lot of people's watching it on TV. I don't even have cable. <laughs> Christy turned our direct TV or whatever it was off, or dish. I don't remember which one it was. Because <laughs> we never watched it. But a lot of people are just watching it on TV because it's not affecting us. We're just so calloused. I was talking to a guy, we were talking to a guy last night, and he was from the West Coast, and he was, you know, he's, he moved out of there because it's just saturated with, with so much violence and so much of the people that that's what they want. But see, we're over here and we're comfortable. It's not really affecting us, so we don't pray. We're not seeking the Lord. We're not interceding on behalf. That, this is our country. My dad, you know, give his life the things that he, you know, the, on his death certificate was everything he was being treated for at the VA hospital. I have uncles, all kinds of people that have given their life for freedom. And here we take advantage of it. And yet we're not interceding on behalf of our nation like we should. The church as a whole isn't. And so, the place of victory in prayer. You know, I was thinking like, have, because growing up, how many of y'all knew that you had those people that you knew sought the Lord? Right? You had those people in your life that you knew that they were seeking the Lord in prayer. They were constantly praying because their life showed it. And you knew if you asked them to pray for you, you knew they were praying for you. And it makes me think, have all of those people gone? Those people that interceded. Those people that were on the watchtowers. <laughs> that was praying. That you'd hear them praying. I want, I want to be on that watchtower, don't you? Don't you want those memories for your kids, your children? You know what? I remember hearing my mom and dad interceding. I mean, Aunt Carolyn talks about hearing Mama back there in that bedroom praying, wasn't she? And then the Lord took her. I mean, that's interceding. I want to, I guess I'm just, as the Lord's just been ministering to me this week, in different ways is like are we a people that is seeking God because uh, what you know are we because our generation likes a lot of hype without holiness and it's you know a lot of ritual without righteousness you know and God is calling the people to be holy for I am holy He's saying, I am looking for watchmen that's going to get on the wall, that's going to be a remnant, that's going to be a called out people, that's going to be separated from the world, that will be up on that wall no matter how it looks to other people, no matter what is perceived, but I will be, he's looking for that one that's going to say, I'm going to intercede on behalf 
of my family. I'm going to intercede on behalf of my church. I'm going to intercede on behalf of my country. I'm going to intercede on in behalf of my community. And we're going to stand guard and we're going to, we're going to say, this isn't happening on my watch. Right? But we're not going to let the enemy come in and just take our fruit. The fruits of our labors. Our children. Our children. As we've heard our, the women talk about how they went to war. What about us men? We heard our mom say, well, that's when I went to war for my child. Well, what about the men? What about us? You fathers provoke not your children to wrath. You fathers. That's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, you fathers, as you sit down, as you enter in the city, it's talking about us training up our children, teaching them the ways of the Lord. But what's happening is we have a fatherless generation that the fathers have just checked out. I, I encourage you men, you are over your household. I don't care what Jezebel says. I don't care what it looks like in, in this world, but you are the head of your household. You will give an account for the leadership and how you lead your family. Because it's your responsibility. You, you have legal right. And that's why whenever you go before the throne of heaven, you say, Father, you have placed me over this household. No weapon that is formed against my family shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against us, I shall condemn. Because that's the heritage of the servants of the Lord of the Most High God. And because you have placed me over my family, I am decreeing and declaring that Satan will not touch my children. Because I am praying that there's a hedge of protection that is all the way around them that's fortified. And I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over them. And that because you have given me that right... Right? Because He placed you over that. And so, are we, are we truly seeking God? Are we truly praying? Second Chronicles, if you want to come with a song. If my people which are called by my, my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Turn from our ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And I know we hear that a lot. We, you know, it, it gets bombarded. That verse gets bombarded. And people see it all the time. But do we really take it to heart? Do we really say we're going to turn from our wicked ways because He will heal our land. He said, if my people, if my people that are abiding in the vine and I in them, are we seeking the Lord? Are we really making the sacrifices to seek Him? Everything begins with prayer. It's all about prayer. It's all that, that interceding with Him. I just want to encourage everybody this week, get up 30 minutes earlier than you normally do and pray. 
30 minutes. Just, just try. 30 minutes. Get up early. 30 minutes. And pray. Just set your... 30 minutes. And just seek the Lord. And I guarantee you it's going to change your week. And so... I challenge us as God's people to seek Him. But if you're here and you don't know Him, you're not in the vine that He's going to cast forth into the fire. That's what the Bible says, right? It says He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. It's all through Jesus. There is a hell. I know we don't like to hear about that either. But there is a hell for those that reject Christ. And He doesn't send you there. You send yourself by simply not accepting Him as your Savior. And so this morning, if you're here and God's speaking to you, I pray that you'd come. You don't have that personal relationship abiding in Him. He said, if you'll draw nigh to me, I will draw nigh to you. As I've said so many times, God doesn't have grandchildren. He has sons and daughters. It's a personal relationship. And only you, it's between you and Him. Mama can't get you there. Daddy, Mama, Papa, all these things. People can't get you. It's you trusting in Him as your Savior. Trusting in Jesus as your Savior. And no other. We're going to stand.